Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. Welcome, dear writers, to the first in a series of special episodes of Write, Publish, and Shine as I take you on a deep dive, let's say, into the creation of Room Magazine, issue 46.3, where I was lead editor of the issue. Being the lead editor at Room basically means that we are selecting the pieces that get forwarded to us by the first reader and curating them into an issue. We're commissioning a writer. We're conducting a feature interview and filling in a few of the other pieces. We also have reviews, although there's a special reviews editor who does that part of things, and I will be talking with them in an upcoming episode. So this issue, Room Magazine 46.3, was on the theme of ghosts, and it is now available up at roommagazine.com. A little bit about Room, if you're unfamiliar, we publish creative writing four times per year in a print journal, and we now offer digital issues as well. And I have been part of Room's rotating roster of editors for over a decade now, and it's always a wild ride. It's a lot of work to jump into an issue, especially when you haven't edited for a while. My last issue, my issue right before this as editor with the journal was 43.3. So every number of that volume means a year in the life. So that means it was three years since I had edited an issue, and that one was on the theme of neurodivergence. I had a great time doing that issue, but I don't always have a lot of time to edit issues. And in fact, as a collective, we really like to make space for new editors to learn. A lot of Room's mission is to help bring new editors into the literary community and to create a really diverse, intersectional community of editors working on our magazine so that we have a lot of different communities that maybe haven't been heard from as much that can come more to the forefront within our writing and literary scene in Canlit and in the international literature. Of course, in those three years since I edited an issue, my colleagues created really beautiful issues of Room. And I may have worked as a proofreader here and there or doing some other things behind the scenes, certainly always as a reader and submitting work to the issue editor. But I wasn't editing issues with Room in those three years. And I wasn't working on this issue alone. Each issue of Room has a production team. In my case, my assistant editor was Ellen Chang Richardson, who also conducted our feature interview for the issue with Manahil Banduquala. 
and more on that coming up in episodes, more behind the scenes. We had shadow editors as well, which is part of our apprenticeship program and part really hard work for both of our shadows, Melissa Barrientos and Lena Belova did multiple proofreading for the issue and helped with our planning from the beginning. And we were supported by our managing editor, Shristi Upredi, our publisher, Nara Montero, and our book reviewer, Micah Kiljoy, who I mentioned before is someone who will be coming up in one of the upcoming episodes. So about the ghost issue itself, this is the call for submissions that we put out. We said, come haunt us. Room seeks writers of marginalized genders, which is our mission. So we wanted to include that right in the statement. That's my aside <laughs> from the call for submissions. So I'll keep going. So seek writers of marginalized genders for poems full of folklore, creative nonfiction, unrattling encounters, transient fiction, and other such spirited words. Send us writing and visual art that is acutely aware of the apparitions around us. Show us the specters, the relationships with revenants, the ancestries of time and place, the imprints and the echoes. We want your best work in any genre, work that breaks with traditional form for Room, issue 46.3, Ghosts, edited by Rachel Thompson, Ellen Chang-Richardson, Melissa Barrientos, and Lena Belova. And then we said the submissions window was November 1st, 2022 to January 5th, 2023. And... If you're listening to this episode right when it comes out, you might be noting then that submissions closed in January and we only just recently, this is early September, were we able to hold the issue in our hands. So it takes a village and it takes a long time to produce a literary print journal, at least Room's literary print journal, but I'm pretty sure that's true for a lot of print publications. So that was the call for submissions. And many, many writers heeded that call. Of course, we couldn't say yes to all of them, unfortunately. And believe me, especially if you were one of the people who submitted, we turned down some brilliant work just because it didn't quite fit our vision or for even more arbitrary reasons, like it didn't fit our page count or maybe we had something similar and we were going in a different way. There's just so many things that go into our choices. But we did say enthusiastic yeses to many writers in the issue, and you will hear in this episode from two of those writers, specifically two poets in the issue. And these are Jennifer Cox and Yukti Narang, who both submitted work that Ellen and I thought were very suitable for a ghost theme and worked well with the tone we wanted to strike in the issue. As you'll hear, Jennifer's poem, The Intubation Choir, created a conundrum for us at first that we resolved by working directly with her. So I really do want to peel back a little bit of the editorial process that went into the selections and working with these writers. And so up first, right away, is my conversation with poet Jennifer Cox, who published what turned out to be the opening poem, the one that set the tone for Room 46.3, Ghosts. So I want to welcome you, Jennifer Cox, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. And thank you for being here to talk about your experience of publishing in Room's Ghosts issue. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So I want to start just with the why. So why did you submit the Intubation Choir to Room's Ghost issue? Or had you specifically targeted that issue with your submission? No, it's pretty rare that I write for submission. And this one I'd written months prior but I'd submitted it a lot and it kept getting rejected. And I was like, it's this really weird 
poem. Like it's unlike most things I've written and it's unlike most things I've read. And I just thought like ghosts and haunting, I was like, yeah, this fits. So I, so then I submitted it. And it is a wonderfully weird poem. And I think it's weirdness for sure is something that attracted me to it right away. And I kept coming back to it and saying, I want to find a place for this in the issue. And I was working with my assistant editor, Ellen Chang Richardson, who is also a poet and a, you know amazing award-winning poet. And we both were like, there's something here. And then also though we had some ideas for what we might want to do so that we can conditionally accept the poem. And for me, that's not something we do very often. Usually poems are kind of like a binary, yes or no. <laughs> sort of like the usual behind the scenes. That's my experience seeing what other editors do as well. It's not very common to do a lot of heavy editing on poems, but knowing that I wanted it to be part of the issue because it has this collective point of view that's really interesting. And then it really resonated with the specter as people listening can tell from the title that it's about intubation and there's this whole respiratory illness pandemic that so many people were intubated in and it feels part of like that aspect of ghosts and longing and sort of experience that we collectively went through. I'm just wondering though when we sent you that email saying oh yes we'd like to accept it but we have these ideas if you're willing what was that like for you? I thought that was great actually. I have never had a piece of writing that wasn't improved by someone else's opinion. And I'll say everyone else's opinion, but like with that piece in particular, I had this like vision of what I wanted it to be, which was this like someone is plopped into this new space that feels kind of weird and somewhere between like life and death. And there's this impossible thing happening, which is that all these people are intubated and yet they're singing. And so it's, it's like a willingness to cling to life when it seems impossible to do so. And so it's a weird concept, right? And like, how do you end on that concept. I played with different endings. I played with everyone leaves and that person's just left there all alone and like just singing by themselves. I played with, I don't even remember what the ending was that I sent to you guys, but I really liked the adaptation where it's just so ambiguous, where you just have this like hope that what you're doing is going to land you on the right side of whatever this liminal space is. So I thought that was really good. There's almost no writing I've ever done that hasn't been improved by someone else coming in being like, oh, I like this. And I think, you know, let's go, what about this angle? So that was cool. And I'm so glad you received it that way because it really was done with love. Ellen and I had a editorial meeting and then we thought, let's just maybe go through line by line and talk about what we think is really working. And you already mentioned too, like one of our suggestions was to end a little bit earlier and leave it more ambiguous. And I think myself just in my own writing too and i'm sure ellen would agree too that often it's sort of like ending earlier is a good revision practice for when we're looking at our poems going okay maybe we went a little bit further and we can leave it a little bit more open so thank you for receiving that that way because that was definitely it was like delighting in the writing and the concept and i should say too it wasn't like major changes it was just like oh can we move this line here and maybe take this little part out it was a reworking of some parts of it. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share about submitting and publishing with Room? Was this the first time that you'd submitted to us? No, not the first time I'd submitted, but the first time I'd even accepted. I found the submission process the same as almost any other 
major Canadian lit mag submission process. But on the acceptance side, it was because it was this conditional acceptance that was really unique. You know, I have a variety of group chats with other writers and I was like, Hey, I got a conditional acceptance. Isn't that crazy? And they're like, that is crazy. <laughs> they're like, that's great. Congratulations. That kind of made that acceptance piece rather unique, but not that different from other pieces that have had accepted where they say, Oh, thank you. We're excited to publish this piece. Here's a small number of changes. Usually they're like, you know, capitalizations or maybe removing one word, but it was just, I think like a more intense version of what it looks like otherwise we're on a non-conditional acceptance. Yeah. And we definitely, we wanted it to be your choice. So we didn't want to accept it and then kind of force changes on you too, because it definitely was more than what we normally do, which I think you're right. is like capitalization or saying, oh, are you sure you want this space here? <laughs> and usually actually we will go with what the poet says. No, those spaces are very important to my poem. And that's why I put them there. And we're like, okay, good. <laughs> we just wanted to make sure. I think it was kind of fun and it's nice to talk about this process because I, th- I mean, it does happen once in a while. And with some journals, maybe that's what they rigor. That's what they do every time. They're like, they have a very specific vision and want to have a hand in your work. I would say, though, for us, it didn't come from wanting to have a hand in the work necessarily, but just like it's either going to be like for us, we didn't feel it was totally finished at the end, I guess, too. So it was like either it has to be a no or it's like, maybe we can try with this conditional acceptance thing. And so I'm glad it worked. Yes. And I get the impression from a lot of magazines that they would love to do things like that and don't have capacity to do them too. Yeah. And with room, I would say that is true. Most of the time, if a piece doesn't feel finished, we'll just say no, because we get so much work and we get a lot of work that is great. But it's a testament to this idea and the voice that you had in it, because there was just enough there that we were like, no, we need to make this work. I wrote this poem from, I got it from like a couple different inspiration points, but I had previously written a poem. I wasn't debated, which is how the poem came up. And I'd previously written a different poem about being intubated and it was accepted one place. And then I withdrew it other places and almost everywhere I withdrew it from, they were like, we loved this. If you have ever had anything else like this, like we want to have it. And I was like, oh, maybe I should write more about this topic. (laughs) And that was one of the things that eventually led to like this particular poem coming up. It's an unusual topic. It's an unusual like subject. And it fits really well in a lot of the themes within poetry that are very attractive. Tell me more about that because, I mean, I'm sorry that that happened, actually. It's what I should start with. Not, not oh, how wonderful for you, but isn't that the writer's mind is like, oh, great, something to write about. But uh, yeah. but maybe tell me more about the themes and, and sort of how you felt like it played with those poetic big ideas. Yeah, so one of the places that it came from was, like I said, just like this want to, like, how do I write more about this experience? And nothing I was really coming up with was very good. Honestly, it was just like, you know, just because you're like, I want to write about something doesn't mean the poems actually come per se. And then I read Kanye Clayton's book, The Sun and the Ships and the Fish and the Waves, which is like all about this, like a dreamscape. And I was like, oh yeah, like I can pull from dreams. And so I kind of like pulled from dreams I had while I was intubated and also just kind of various other ways of thinking about it and kind of came up with this little, <laughs> this little liminal space that I wrote about. But I also like, it because it's like a poem that came from poems, right? Like it was a, a poem inspired by a variety of different poems to take the shape that it ultimately had. I love that. And actually I published Conyer in the last issue of Room that I edited too. So it's just kind of great seeing one 
sort of leading to the next. I love that inspiration that happens. I'm wondering if I can talk to you about your submission practice and just how often do you submit? Because you talked about submitting this piece to other places and other places telling you, oh, maybe more about this topic. How often do you submit your writing to Lit Mags and just how do you choose when and where to submit? I submit so sporadically. Sometimes I'll submit like 50 things within a month and then not submit for four months. This year, I had a couple of goals in my submission. I wanted to be published in some bigger Canadian lit mags and I was published in Room and I was published in ARC this year, which are great. But the flip side of that is you end up being published less if you're focusing on, right, on major Canadian lit mags. So I I was much more intentional this year about where I was submitting to and what I was submitting to and, and had some success with that. But I also like being published more <laughs> too. So I think I'm going to kind of, pivot back a little bit and pivot my submission process a little bit more, but I'm very sporadic about it. Like writing poetry is something I do in my so-called spare time, um, <laughs> outside of my regular work and parenting hours. And so it kind of comes with the seasons of how busy I am. And truly when I submit, it's usually at like 10 PM. So <laughs> I can get those like 10 PM times, like sufficiently edit the poems and up and like send them out and determine is, is this magazine is it a good one? Is it a good fit? And also I, I try to submit the full number. So if they ask for six poems, I try to submit six poems because I've just found that you never know what the different entities are going to like. And so just throwing stuff out there that you think is good and seeing what sticks is probably more success than I thought. And often people accept poems. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> like that one, I didn't know you would. So that's most of my experience. I try to have a lot of things out at any given time. Just because you never really know when there's, especially when it's free or very, very cheap, like $3 to submit, it's like something that I can do. And so I just try to do as much as I can. And like 80% say no, which is fine. <laughs> if, you have, if you send out 10 in a month and one says, yeah, that's exciting, right? You just never really know. Yeah, I love what you're doing in terms of volume, because I think that really does help because it's really is just a numbers game too. Like, even for this issue, we turned down a lot of great work for various reasons. And sometimes it was just fit too. It's like, oh, we only have so many pages and we don't have room for this piece. And I got several letters, several rejection letters this year that said essentially that they were like, we really liked your work. Submit again sometime. It's not right for this issue. And I like that too. Like getting that level of no, but is very encouraging and very nice as well. Yeah. That's a major win. I would say to get that kind of feedback. Because then you know, okay, I can just turn around and send that elsewhere and it is going to be published soon. Yeah. I also want to touch on what you said about submitting a full package, like a packet of poems, because I've interviewed so many editors and I've asked a lot of them about that. Would you prefer to get one single poem or a full package? And there was only one editor who's ever said they want to get a single poem, and that's the former editor, poetry editor at Art. So even that editor's not editing anymore. So I would say definitely the packet idea is a good one. I think one of the reasons is because as editors, we want to see just how you're taking your craft and like how you understand your, how your poems work together, your selection of the poems that you submit, even if it's like, okay, well, these ones don't really work, but I'm just kind of get a sense of the poet too. So yeah, that's interesting. I know some places will accept like three poems and then they'll title the pieces like three poems by whomever. And when I read those, I'm never really sure. I was like, am I submitting this as a package? Like, am I submitting these five poems as a five poem package? Or am I submitting like five poems individually? And so I've taken to writing in my cover letter to say, 
I'm submitting each of these poems as a package and individually because I'm never really sure what that particular magazine, how they might treat them. I've taken to doing both. <laughs> so I like try to cover myself off and they're, they'll do what they want with it too, right? They'll decide if that's how they want to approach. That's true. For us, it was really important to publish a lot of writers. So I think there may be two places where we picked more than one poem. That is really good to cover those bases in that cover letter. Let people know. Yeah. Also, I'm a lawyer and I feel like that's my like lawyer brain being like, <laughs> and, and, and. <laughs> Cover up all the other. Let me make sure I have all the clauses in my cover letter. <laughs> I am the person who reads like the fine print very thoroughly. Okay. So now that you said that, which I didn't know, how do you think that your reading as a lawyer influences your writing? Like, is there some kind of relationship between those two modes? Yeah, definitely. I only came to poetry a couple of years ago. Actually, after I became a parent, I kind of came back to poetry, but I've been writing extensively every day for the past like 15 plus years in academia and then as a lawyer. And it's very similar. Like it's a very careful choice of words. It's very careful, like tone, intonation, like what are you trying to convey? How do these few words make magic? So it's a very like similar skill, but yeah, I find it's very easy to go from one to the other. And I keep trying to write a legal poem in some ways, like using legal language. And I, I find it really hard. Like I, I, I have a trouble, like the same skills apply, but I have trouble taking like language from one and like applying it to the other. And I have many, many people recommended Whereas to me, which is a book by hopefully Laylee Longsoldier. It's wonderful. And she does exactly that. I've been kind of studying it recently because I love what she does and how she does it and how she like takes this legal language and applies it to this, like in this case, like a decolonialization context. It's an interesting play with words. Excellent. I'll make sure to put that in our show notes so listeners can find that book as well. You said it's Whereas and the author's name again? Laylee Longsoldier. Laylee, L-A-Y-L-I, and then Longsoldier, two words. It's a beautiful book. Thank you. That's just really cool. The attention to language, of course, when you say that, it makes sense. that Both of those, both poet and lawyer, is very specific in their word choices. So... That's really cool. Thanks for telling us about that. So I'm wondering about feedback for your writing. You've already talked about the excitement of getting those kind of positive rejections is what I'll call them <laughs> today. How do you handle feedback, both good and bad about your writing? Like, how do you take that as a writer? I think I handle bad feedback better than I handle good feedback. Because you get good feedback and you're like, is it really good? But I'm learning to accept that, yes, yeah, sometimes it is good or this person enjoyed it because there's so much of subjectivity to it. I handle it pretty well. I think because I go into it very openly. Like I, I came back to writing poetry after I became a parent, but I was like a teenager. And as a preteen, I wrote a lot. I did a ton of creative writing before I kind of pivoted to more professional academic writing. And I was really protective of everything I wrote. I was so scared that people wouldn't like it. And when I came back to writing as a parent and after you know being a professional for a long time and having all sorts of critique over my work, I found it more joyful. My husband, my wonderful husband, reads a lot of my work and his feedback is almost always, it's good. <laughs> the least helpful, but very kind feedback you can receive, right? <laughs> How did it work? And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I liked it. <laughs> so I'd say I'm very receptive to feedback and not all feedback necessarily is something to work with, but all of it is helpful. Like I have another poem, which is 
received several positive rejection letters and I'm still trying to get published. And I'm part of it, like a, a group that we were like workshops, poems. And, and one thing within that poem that they all had feedback on is I had a line, something about like a 16th day. And everyone in the group took something different from that 16th day that all framed that they read the poem and none of it was what I was going for. And so that was really, really helpful because I was like, okay, I'm sending people in the wrong direction. Let's revisit that. So I think all type of feedback given in good faith is useful and I'm relatively receptive to it. What you're saying is sort of music <laughs> to my ears. It's, it's been great. You're the second person I've interviewed for this. And both of you, I'm like, yes, I'm going to check off everything you say. But in particular, what you say about that kind of feedback, I think, because I've been thinking a lot about workshop, I run a workshop as well too. And it's like the kind of feedback that says I'm confused is the most helpful feedback because that's something it's like, it's not a solution. It's just saying, I don't understand. And then you can work with that. But then there's the other kind of feedback. Sometimes it's a bit more prescriptive and those are the ones to really measure and be considered more fully before you accept it. So that's a great example of that. It's like, everyone was confused. I'm going to fix it, but I don't need to explain it to them either at this point. In this group, we do a lot of I'm confused and also prescriptive. And a lot of it is like, we can read where someone's going within, you know, a poem where they want to be and then pull out a word and be like, you know, it might be better if you use this type of word because you're already in this kind of portrait of the landscape. Like, what if you swap this in? So I find workshopping poems together is really, really helpful. Hard agree. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring you to our quick lit round, which doesn't have to be quick, but it is kind of like a fill in the blanks. In fact, it often isn't. So take this whatever way you want to, but I'm going to start a sentence and then ask you to finish it. So the first is being a writer is? Fun. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Literary magazines are? Interesting and complex. Editing requires? Focus. And then rejection for a writer means? Nothing. That is a very measured <laughs> response. That's good. <laughs> like, that's like the middle way that we all kind of strive for in terms of <laughs> equilibrium. <laughs> and then finally, writing community is? Needed. Is there anything else that you wanted to tell writers about your practice or anything at all? I mean, I think it is a practice above anything else. Like it's not something that you get right or that you get wrong. It's just a practice and it's something I continue to practice and have a little bit of success at <laughs> and, and hope I have more success at. I think sometimes people come into it with a, you succeed or you don't. And it's not that it's like a practice as a career. It's a, you show up every day and you do things or you show up when you are able to show up and you do things. It's striking me that also it's called law practice as well too. So there's another parallel between us. Oh yeah. And I think being a lawyer has dramatically affected how I come back to it because it lets me just let it be joyful. I very much like that it's writing poetry, writing creative writing is not my job. Like I don't have to rely on an income. And so that lets it be a space of joy, right? Like I can put it down when I need to put it down. I can go to it when I need it. Like, and it is like a creative thing with objectives. I think of it like as a side career, <laughs> but it's not what puts foods on my table. And so that lets me keep it joyful and keep it productive and not get too bogged down. If I get a rejection, it also lets me not take that personally. 
because it isn't personal. I've been rejected by so many things <laughs> in my life and things I really wanted and things I haven't that I wanted a lot less. And you win some, you lose some, it keeps going. So that's kind of been my attitude and philosophy. And I like to think of it as a series of wins. None of those things would I've gotten if I hadn't just submitted or hadn't just applied or reached out to her. And those are all the wins. And everything else is stuff that you didn't have anyway. I love that. Thanks, Jennifer. Of course. Before we get to my next guest, Yukti Narang, I'm stepping away from these interviews to let you know about the Write, Publish, Shine Intensive, currently open for registration, but not for much longer as of this recording. This is my intensive course that brings together all of the goodness of my three courses on generating, revising, and publishing your work, plus much more. And this holistic intensive takes writers through the journey of developing new, luminous writing with lots of feedback, training to help you skillfully edit your work, and a custom tailored plan to submit your writing for publication. You'll finish the program with completed short works of writing already submitted for publication to places that most fit your voice. Do you crave support and structure so you can write your most luminous work? Maybe your writing practice has slipped and you need deadlines, encouraging feedback, and help to hone in on your unique voice, or you feel overwhelmed about where to begin when it comes to revising your writing and want to develop your editorial skills, or maybe you don't know what to send lit mags or whether there's a place out there for your unique voice. I'm speaking incredibly quickly because I have children <laughs> talking in the background during this ad read. So I hope you appreciate how this is real. This is real. This is really happening, folks, <laughs> during the ad read. You want feedback from a writer and editor who has your back and a community of writers to support you and your dreams of writing and publishing. At the end, end of the Write, Publish, and Shine intensive, you will have polished several stories, poems, or hybrid work. You'll have submitted your work to publications that fit you. You'll have prepared for a big yes for your writing and your writing dreams, and you will have found your place in a community of writers. So you already know me if you're listening to this as the host of the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. And I'm also a literary magazine editor with Room, which you also know because I've been talking all about it this episode. I'm also a published author and an online course instructor here to help you publish your most luminous work. So in the intensive program, I help you every step of the way to write, publish, and shine with personal feedback and support. And during the intensive, you will have three one-on-one -on -one mentorship calls, a one-hour personal manuscript review session, and a warm seat revision review with me. Plus, there are group coaching calls throughout the revision and LitMag Love course sections. I offer a sliding scale payment option and reconciliation pricing for BIPOC and or trans writers in an effort to make the program more accessible to writers. We start very soon. So if you're at all interested, head on over to rachelthompson.co slash intensive to check it out. We go for four months of dedicated writing, revising and publishing with lots of support for me. So that's rachelthompson.co slash intensive to learn more and register. So that was my conversation with Jennifer Cox talking about her poetry and approach to writing and submitting. I loved hearing about the overlap between being a lawyer and a poet. How interesting that they're both practices. Of course, they're both practices, but uh, just clicked for me in that conversation. And I just loved connecting with her about the process we went through with her poem, The Intubation Choir. I will share the link to the book, Whereas, by Laylee Long Soldier in the show notes for this episode. So do not be concerned about that. In fact, we work hard to make sure that everything that's referenced in each episode appears in the show notes. This is episode 80, so that would be up at rachelthompson.co 
slash podcast slash 80. Up next, we have Yukti Narang, a writer who spoke to me from New Delhi, India. Because of our mandate and funding, one thing you should know about Room is we largely publish writing from what is colonially known as Canada, but Room also publishes work from around the world. And I will say that if we accept work from international contributors, it's because it's very, very exceptional because we are limited in the amount of space that we can give to non-Canadian writers. And that's a function, again, of funding that happens within the Canadian writing system. So Yukti's poem was definitely that, very, very exceptional. I will warn you that we will mildly spoil her poem that has a beautiful twist in it because we kind of had to to talk about its creation and I asked Yukti's permission and we went ahead and did it. But if you have a copy of Room Ghosts or want to grab one now to read before you're spoiled, please do. Again, they are available digitally as well at roommagazine.com. And then come back to listen because Yukti has some incredibly illuminating advice about how she approaches writing and submitting her work to journals. So there are must-listen insights on the process coming up in my conversation with Yukti Narang. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast, Yukti. I wanted to start by asking you, why did you submit your beautifully creepy poem, The Evil One, to Room's Ghosts issue? So when I heard about the open call that Room had done, which they often do, I really, I've always read Room as a magazine. I really admired it. And it's one of the magazines that I really wanted to be published in. But when I saw that this particular issue was themed as ghosts, I was even more interested because it's one of the speculative genres that I really like. And I knew that, okay, if it's ghosts, then I have to be in it. That's what I told myself when I started writing for Room. And I submitted around five poems for Room and all the pieces I wrote specifically for Room. But then I submitted them simultaneously to other magazines as well. It was just a very good opportunity for me to submit to Room with a themed issue specifically because when you're really aiming to publish with a magazine like this, especially if it's been an older magazine and it is paid and there are multiple things that we have to take care of, then you have to be very specific. So that's when I thought that, okay, theme is going to narrow it down a little bit. For me and the editors and you, I read a little bit about the people that were going to be reading it. And then I wrote it based on a little set of ideas that I had. And I was hoping that all of them would be different from each other. But a funny thing that really happened with me was that out of all the five pieces, this one was probably my fifth favorite. And I thought the other four would probably be chosen first. And this one got picked. Sometimes that just happens. It's so subjective what people will like. But I'm really happy they chose this one because it tells a story to a reader, even if it's not a short story, it's a poem. But that's how I always aim to write poetry. It always has to tell a story, whether it has characters in it or not, but it has to be somebody's story in a form of verse. Yes, I love the story in this poem so much. And I love also hearing how you had ranked your own poems. And then we picked the one that you didn't necessarily think was going to be our first choice. But uh you're right. It's so subjective and it's just so kind of random in some cases, but what ends up in the magazine. Although that said, I do recall this was an early choice for us. We're early on in the decision-making process. My assistant editor, Ellen Chang Richardson, and I were like, nope, we have to get this one. <laughs> Let's take this one. 
One thing about your poem, I think, that made us intrigued in The Evil One is something that I don't want to spoil, but I'm going to a little bit just because it's so fascinating. And I hope it further encourages readers to seek it out and read it to see how you do this so artistically, which is that deliberate shift from what I'll term as prey to predator. So it's left as kind of an open question, who is the evil one? Is it the man whose spirit plays with swords or the speaker? Can you tell us a little bit about that choice and how you went about that in the poem and the storytelling of the poem? Yes, that was extremely deliberate. I think when people reach the end of the poem, they will realize that it was a choice that I made because one of the characters, without spoiling too much, one of the characters was in a mind frame where they were scared of the other character. And she, being somebody who had her own home, she constantly felt that this eerie presence around her. And there was so much that she was thinking about. And she just wanted to escape that place because she didn't know where she could run away to. And eventually, with her mind, she started thinking about different things that she could do to that ghost or the spirit, whoever that was in her mind. And her thoughts got so haunted and so creepy that she scared herself and eventually started thinking, is it me or is it the other person who's the spirit? Even at the end of the poem, I hope that the readers will decide as per their own mindset who the spirit would be. Because it could be a mental Maybe it could be something that was just in her mind. Maybe it could be something that was true. But it's a little open-ended. But it's definitely creepy to think that today, if I look at a ghost and then I figure out tomorrow that, oh, I am the ghost for that person. That would be a really, really fun ride to be on. For sure. Hope not. But this particular character did that. So I think that would be really interesting for the reader. Yes, it was for this reader, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. You talked a bit about the experience of submitting and, you know, that you simultaneously submitted, but that you wrote the work for this themed issue, which I love because I think a lot of writers do that where they're like, I'm going to use the themes out there to drive me to create new work. And I just love that strategy. I call it a strategy. I don't know if you do, but <laughs> that's what I think of it as, as a strategy for writing. What was the actual publication process like with us? So Room is a magazine, like I told you, that I have read before, and I really admire it. And it's one of the publications that when you get published in it, you feel like my work is being appreciated and I'm on the right track in terms of my career as a writer in literature and in terms of also just understanding that people who are in this space, people who read good literature, understand what writing and storytelling is, are choosing my work so it's a good thing that I'm on the right path. You know, sometimes I feel like your work has to also resonate with your readers, no matter how brilliant it is or what path you are on. Not everybody is going to like your work at the end of the day, but if a larger set of people are liking it and if it gets acknowledged in this way, then I feel a little validated also. But Room, the experience was extremely beautiful. And the day that I I was actually, I hadn't even gotten up. So I have this funny habit that as soon as I get up, I check my emails. So two or three things I do, but one of those is checking what publications have said yes, who has not picked my work, all of that. So with this particular space, the room did not take a lot of time, but because I had also simultaneously submitted my work, you know, when you get a few rejections continuously, you feel like, oh, okay, 
let's open and see what's in it. So when I opened Room, I had zero expectations. I opened the email, I was like, oh, okay. Another one maybe. And when I opened it and you picked this one, I was really, really happy. Because this was like one of my goals, especially given the theme. So obviously, whether you send in something that did not resonate with the editor, once in a while, if that happens, you can send it again. But the fact that this magazine was doing this issue meant a lot to me. So I was happy that this happened. A little manifestation also here and there. I think it's important. But the experience is really good because starting from you to everybody who emailed me and the technical issues, if I faced any, were uh, resolved within a day or two. And I'm still in the process of speaking with some people. Submit it again because there is a time frame that you have to avoid. But after that, you can do it again. So I'm hoping to publish with Ruby. Yeah, you just can't publish in back-to-back issues. So yeah, resubmitting after a little bit of time is great. I think they don't publish you in consecutive issues, but also not, not more than twice a year. So out of the four, you can be in two. So that time frame has passed. So I submitted again, which is an unthemed issue. But I think the themes are also really important. So I think that was really good to share this space with Romit. It was really nice. And looking at all of the other magazine covers and yours in it and the announcements and everything, it's really exciting. We were having a lot of fun behind the scenes, so I think that maybe showed and uh, I'm really glad it resonated with you too. Yes, I'd love to hear some stories of that. Actually, now that you say that, maybe I'll include that in this series because I'm doing a whole series on behind the scenes of Room. So I'll be sure that Ellen and I talk a bit about that at one point in this series as well. So thank you for that interest and for planting that seed for me, because I think it's true that people really were excited about this theme too. And I think that was sort of mutual. All of us were just excited. It was something about the time and the place that we were doing this, I guess. Maybe not the place, because we're all over the world, but the time, definitely. Absolutely. And I think Room has so many readers across the globe that international shipping takes a little bit of time for you to get the magazine. So I'm also waiting on my copies and to get some extra copies from Room. And by the time I get the course issue, it will probably be fall. So it'll be more fun to read it at that time. Other people's work also. That's so great. So you talked a bit about how you've already resubmitted to Room and that Room is like a target magazine for you. Because our listeners are also emerging writers who are submitting to journals, I wanted to ask you just a bit about your own strategy. So like, how often do you submit your writing to LitMegs and how do you choose when and where to submit? I submit uh, very often. Just to give you a little background, I am a writer in literature and cinema as well, emerging in both. So when I plan my works, it's always one book, one film or some short film or I'm trying to figure out what pieces I am working on. But even if something is a part of a poetry collection, if it's a part of a chapbook or a book that I'm going to include it in, it's still all right to submit those works to magazines. In fact, if that happens, I think it will increase our chances of speaking to publishers because magazines like Room or other uh, magazines that are doing very well in the literary space, I have accepted it. So what I do is I plan maybe a day and if I have a collection or a list of publications that are open to submissions, I either save that or list that. And probably once or twice a week, I sit down and I submit to most of them that fit 
either the work I have already, or if I really like a magazine and its themes, or if I'm looking forward, or if I have been looking forward to it, then I write based on their theme or based on what they are doing at that particular time. So can I name the magazines if that's all right? Yeah, I'd love for you to do that. So for example, if one story or the Paris Review are opening, their open call is happening maybe next month. I will plan some pieces 15 or 20 days before so that I can write them, edit them, and then send it across. So I'll have plenty of time to reread my work, which is also very important because one week later, you have a different perspective on your own work. So just to be sure about it. Sometimes you're so excited, you just submit it in a day. And if you get lucky, then everybody likes it. But maybe planning a little bit ahead. And what I've learned in the process of being published in all of the magazines that I have been published in is that when you know the people who are behind the magazine, it will increase your chances of being published, irrespective of the fact that whether your piece is beautiful or not. But sometimes it will just not fit a magazine. So knowing a little bit about the magazine, maybe reading it, like Room has different editors for each issue. So it's a difficult magazine to crack. But if you just know what they're expecting and what the literary space expects from them in return, it'll be really nice. But at the end of the day, if there is no theme and if you have written a piece that you love and you feel like it's a piece that everybody should read and it's a story that you want to tell, then it's okay. You can submit it to multiple places. And if it's really that good, then they will take it. So it's like a combination of certain factors that you have to be sure. But in storytelling, it's always emotion always trumps everything, right? So you have to be sure of the technicalities. But at the end of the day, if you believe in your story, then I think other people will do. Also, you're really astute in going, room is a difficult place to crack because we rotate editors. You never know who's going to be on the team and what their tastes will be. And I hope, and one of the things I try to tell the writers that I work with and the writers I speak with on this podcast too, is like, what that means is it really is quite arbitrary whether your piece is accepted or not. So do not take it too personally because one editor maybe didn't go for it, but the next editor maybe will too. So it's not like, don't rule room out just because they said no to you once, because as you said, it's multiple editors. One more thing that I really noticed, or maybe I figured it out through the process is that even I am an emerging writer. So it's not like I've cracked every magazine or every publishing house. It's always you have new questions every day about the different mediums that you work in. But what I have figured is that, for example, if you know that there is a particular poetry editor or a fiction editor or different genre editor, and you know the masthead beforehand, sometimes that can also help you in the way that, okay, you know that this person is going to be reading your work. Sometimes they will like the work that they resonate with, and sometimes they like work that they might have never written themselves. So it's so unique to them that they will choose it, but you can't control that. The good thing is that sometimes there is a magazine that I want to really be published in, because it's so beautiful and there's so much, like it's a prestigious magazine and there's so much happening that sometimes you aim towards that and your writing keeps getting better. You get excited about the fact, oh, this person is going to read my work and this magazine. So you have to make it better. And you will see that difference in your writing, the time that you started to now and maybe the next one. 
and I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but if, you know, I send something as a submission and if it doesn't get published with the magazine that I was hoping that would be chosen, chosen with, then I send it to the magazine that I feel, okay, this is a little less difficult. So I don't know if that is something that's a good thing because a magazine that's even bigger in different ways can also choose it just because they like it. But sometimes you just start questioning the piece. So that's something that people have to think what suits them and what doesn't because so many writers will be listening to this. But I think it's just important to keep bettering your work. And for you, if that means that you have to track a certain magazine or it's your dream publisher or it's your dream producer, then go for it. But if for, for another person, bettering your writing means something else or there's some other motivation, that's also great. But I think this really works because you. I always say this, that you have to know your craft and your industry in equal parts. And that will really help. So know the world that you're in and also know yourself. So it will always be a balance of the You have some really great insights. So thank you for that. Thank you for saying that. But it's just that everybody, once you go through different different phases, you learn it's important to just think about it every once in a while, especially if you're an overthinker. Oh, yeah. I'm raising my hand at that. Overthinkers <laughs> unite. Yeah, I'm just saying that it's a good thing that just know yourself and the process that you're going through. And it'll keep getting better every day. That's the goal. Just get, keep getting better every day. Even if you are getting published with the best, but it's still room, right? I'll jump to our quick lit round right now and ask you these questions. I will start the sentence and then ask you to finish it. Being a writer is? I think being a writer is, it's a dream and it's a dream come true. Because ever since I was a child, I wanted to be a storyteller. That's for sure. And I think being a writer can be so many things. And it can sometimes be scary. It can sometimes be harrowing. And it can be extremely fun or extremely challenging. But at the end of the day, I think you're happy. And you're getting better every day. You're getting brilliant every day. And I feel like being a writer is for the ones that want to be a dream come true. And I think you should just every day just work at it and have fun with it. Literary magazines are? Literary magazines are extremely important, I feel. Everybody that wants to be a writer, it always emerges from a dream and an aim that you set for yourself, maybe at a younger age. Whenever you decide to do it, I think the first thing that they think about is that, oh, okay, I want to publish a book. And I want to do it with this person. But literary magazines are such an important part of literary landscape. And writers know that. But I think readers also need to experience that, explore that, and know the fact that as much as we read books, we can also read magazines. It's a pathway to, of course, the best books that we read. And it's a pathway to being published. But I feel like as a writer, even when... I will be doing bestsellers or if I all the awards that I want to win or all the good books that I write, I still want to keep publishing with literary magazines because they are an equal part of the literary landscape. And also you get to see so many writers together. So sometimes if like say I get published in a magazine and I read another person's story based on the same theme, sometimes I think, oh wow, I was thinking something else and this person was thinking about something completely different. 
and that's so beautiful to see very very insightful and literally magazines are definitely a pathway to publishing but they are not any less than the books that we read so i think if you collect books please start collecting magazines also and anthologies i think they are very very important and very good work by emerging writers that's music to my ears thank you <laughs> And then the next question, I often ask editors, but I think all writers would know this too from thinking of it from both sides is editing requires. Editing requires a lot of patience and some tears because I feel like when I started writing and especially writers of poetry would relate to this, that poetry doesn't need a lot of editing. In my experience, I've seen that. but there are no creative non fiction and the fiction that you write that will always need a lot of editing even if it is a piece that an editor or a magazine has loved but i've gone through it myself that i felt like i don't want to agree with this editor and my piece is being changed and this is not what i wanted but i feel like if the end result is that your voice is intact then editing will always better your work i have seen it through multiple drafts that once i read the final piece that i had started writing and that i had submitted to the final publication it will always look more refined intact and more interesting we have to have a lot of patience and trust each other especially if a writer is not a professional editor themselves obviously we edit our own works every day but if an editor does it for me that i think i should be patient and thankful and then obviously not be completely blindsided to the fact that they have my piece or keep giving insight but i think it's extremely important and that is a question i have all the time that when i publish individual pieces it's still all right because the editors have it in their hands and they will tell me if it's correct or not but when you submit whole manuscripts or poetry collections to publishers it becomes so difficult because i still don't know if i should have gotten it corrected by an editor that would work with me in a freelance situation or whether i should send it directly how i should go about it because editing anyway happens in house but with the bigger ones it's always a question of whether we should do that or not i think that's something that you can share yeah i think that's something that a lot of writers are facing right now too because there's a rise in freelance editing and expectation from publishers too that work comes in pretty much ready to go and they're not going to have as much editing work to do too so that's really insightful i think to think about that choice and then also i feel like a reflection of what's happening in the industry so there you go you have that half craft half industry <laughs> you definitely are nailing it absolutely you have to know so my next fill in the blank is rejection for a writer means now i know this rejection for a writer means that it is an opportunity for you to grow and become a better writer every day and sometimes it means that the piece is absolutely fine and it's just not resonating with that particular set of people and sometimes it actually means that your work is just not that good so if you can look at it and revise it and see whether it's ready for publication or not then it it is really good and i think you have to know yourself but i have had this shift in me that earlier when people didn't accept some of my work or if i got some constructive criticism i would take it a little little to my heart and i would say okay this person doesn't understand my work 
now I feel like, okay, I have to better myself to fit that space. And that does not mean changing my voice or the way I write or the characters. That is, story is absolutely fine. A writer is born with the fact that they will have good stories and good characterization. But the fact that how can you execute those stories is like from your mind to the paper. That's such a process and it's such a journey that I feel like that is important. But always look at what you can do to better yourself rather than blaming the person because that will never help. So I think today if I get rejected by a magazine and tomorrow if I get published with the same, especially if it's multiple rejections, then I feel like, oh, definitely I'm getting better. So always question what you can do. That's important. Lovely. And then my final fill in the blank is writing community is? Writing community is extremely beautiful, insightful, and a lot of fun. So all of the uh, writers that I don't know very many writers personally, I have people, whether it's my own people, friends, or anybody who are in similar industry. I know people who might help me in some other concept, or but it's my it's my personal group. But I have found the writing community online a lot, and a lot of that has happened through literary magazines, actually. So the people that I've met in that process, or whether it is on social media, the writing community is extremely encouraging. I feel. And there is so much to learn from the people that you follow or that you admire that I feel like writing community is very, very, it's insightful. You learn a lot. But at the end of the day, when you get rejected and the writing community is there, most of the people will have similar experiences. So along with all the insight, there will be memes that you will read and you will feel like, okay, this happened to me today. Tomorrow, it might not. It's okay. You can get through it. So whether it's my own family or whether it's me, I understand that I can share things with them. And if absolutely my own person can tell me, okay, you're doing this way and I understand it. But somebody who's a professional writer, who's doing that every day, has something very personal to share. And one thing I'd like to share, it depends from person to person, but I don't think I've ever felt shy to ask a question to a fellow writer or an editor. Sometimes if I get a question from somebody who's an emerging writer, I'll be very happy to help them. And I have asked so many people that I have not even known personally, but probably they were in the same magazine or they were my editor. And if I have any doubt, I'll just ask them, I'll call them, I'll email them and I'll say, okay, please tell me what I should do about this. And they will most definitely help you. If you don't get a response, that's fine. But if you get one, that it'll always be possible. Well, I love that. And thank you so much. I feel like we are part of a writing community together. I love your approach to community as well. And I'm grateful that you joined the Ghosts 46.3 community and, <laughs> and that we can share your work. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to add at this time? I'd just like to add that I just feel happy that every day I get to be a storyteller and a writer and it's incredible. And I think a lot of people will agree that let's say I have someone to share my everyday stories with or my idea who somebody is in the similar industry and who's a storyteller themselves. That's great. 
but if you by any chance need to find that community i think contacting each other is very very important and also one more thing that when you submit to magazines submission guidelines are very very important so i make sure that i read those because once in a with me that people have really liked my work and they were expecting work from a particular country and i did not read that and that's the only reason that it didn't happen so that feels bad but it's important just to send work to the most appropriate places and just have fun with being a storyteller it's amazing i'm just happy to see that when you submit like you see different names every day and tomorrow you need read their name on a book or tomorrow you read their name again being published with you and you see that growth together it's so nice even in rome i have read names that i have known like manahil and you her work from before yes oh i love that share that space with that person you feel like oh i'm getting published with this person that means that i i might be good so that happens every once in a while you get that validation every day till you understand that okay i am a good writer and you keep getting better every day lovely thank you so much So that was Yukti Narang on publishing with Room, writing and submitting. I love, love, love speaking with both Yukti Narang and Jennifer Cox, which was the first time I talked to either of them, which may or may not surprise you since when we're editing, it's very fast communication, usually asking about changes and edits and then showing proofs for correction to the writers. So we're juggling a lot and cannot, unfortunately, or at least I can't slow down and connect individually as much as maybe we'd like to. So this was a wonderful experience to get to hear from them both about their practices and hear a bit about, you know, how they came to be in my submittable box so that I was able to select their work along with my colleague Ellen Chang Richardson. We did the selections and then published them in room. And I think one thing they both had in common apart from submitting to the issue was the seriousness of their approaches to journals. They have systems for both submitting and thinking about the responses that come back to them. And it's really important when you're emerging as a writer and want to publish in Litmags to have a plan because it's a lot of work and takes a lot of focus, self-trust and care. So that was our first of a whole month of episodes about Room Magazine Ghosts issue 46.3. this October as of this recording so you know this seemed like the right month to do this if we're going to talk about ghosts and haunting and this is currently on newsstands near you if you have newsstands near you and if you're listening to this when the episode comes out and it's also online for order in print and digital at roommagazine.com in upcoming episodes you'll hear from more of the many many writers artists and staff involved in the creation of this issue and that won't even be the half of all the people involved by the way not even probably a third it really takes a village so stay tuned for our next episode to haunt you in this spooky month when i'm talking all about our spooky issue ghosts do you crave support and structure so you can write your most luminous work the right publish and shine intensive starts soon write revise and publish your luminous writing with lots of support from me you can learn more and register at rachelthompson.co/intensive the right publish and shine podcast is brought to you by me rachel thompson you can learn more about the work i do to help writers write publish and shine at rachelthompson.co when you're there sign up for my writerly love letters sent every week and filled with support for your writing practice If this episode encouraged you to haunt some lit mags, I would love to hear all about it. 
You can always email me at hello at rachelthompson.co and tell other luminous writers about this episode. You can do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast, or tell them to search for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to keep writing and submitting your luminous and maybe scary or haunting work. Jennifer Cox spoke to me from Ottawa, Ontario, which is the unceded Anishinaabe Algonquin territory. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied by the El Muzina Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.